Hello everyone, good evening, good morning, uh, wherever you are. This is again the Freedom Broadcaster Livestream International with Grace from Princeton, Steve from Singapore, Roy from Warsaw, and myself from Bavaria, Germany. And um, today we, talk, we have a special guest concerning the climate change. It's a very interesting topic as 20 hours ago we could see that in 60 countries environmental activists want to start the Friday for Future again. So it's uh, we are right on the time in order to discuss with you the situation and the opinion of Mr. Whitestone and not the only the opinion, especially the facts. <laughs> this is most important. This is more important. And Mr. Gregory Whitestone has a master's degree in geology from the West Virginia University and has been investigating the earth process for more than 35 years. And he is the author of the published book, Inconvenient Facts, the Science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. And for this reason, we will discuss in our podcast his, uh, his facts concerning climate change with respect to the subjects like desertification, forest fire, earthquakes, the melting North Pole, etc., and how much all these disasters are influenced or not influenced by the human beings. Mr. Rhinestone, thank you so much for having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for being on. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be joining you, gentlemen and, and lady. Thank you. Um, uh, we have here in Germany, we have here uh, uh, a young lady. She is 20 years old and she is called Naomi Seibert. And she has the same opinion like you. And, and is also doing the research like you. And, uh, well, let's say it this way. She, she has a tough time here in Germany. And, um, well, let's start concerning your personal point of view. What was your experience concerning uh, since you came out with the facts that you have what? a completely different opinion and uh, showing the people the facts concerning the real climate change? Well, well, first of all, I do know Naomi. I met her a year ago in uh, Washington, D.C., and she's got a, a personalized signed copy of my book, Inconvenient Facts. So I had a chance to sit down with her for oh, 45 minutes and had a discussion with her. Very, very uh, intelligent young lady. And she does have some training in science as opposed to Greta Thunberg. Um, I think maybe we should start with how did I get into this as a geologist? What, what brought me into this? And it was oh, seven years ago or so. I was hearing things about climate change that I knew as a geologist and scientist just was incorrect. Um, in particular, it was ocean acidification. I knew that was just factually incorrect because we've had uh, carbon dioxide levels uh, for ocean acidification, for example. They're saying well, there's, the increase in carbon dioxide is acidifying the oceans. We've had throughout Earth's history, we've had up to 15 and close to 20 times as much CO2 in the atmosphere as we do today. And the oceans weren't acidified. They stayed uh, thoroughly uh, basic, um, and, and it never became acidified. Um, but that, that drew me into it. I suspected other things uh, were not correct, and it really drove. I dove into this. This the book was a result of my personal search for the truth about climate change, and I just saw as I went through one one item after another, one what I call climate apocalypse, and you've heard them drought, floods, too much snow, not enough snow, too much rain, not enough rain. Um, each one of these I dove into and looked into, and I found that the, sacks, the facts and the science were, were contradicting what the media and the UN was telling us time after time after time. And that led me to write my book. Um, and my, my goal for, there are a lot of books on climate change out there. Uh, my goal, a lot of them have six or seven pages of text and one black and white chart. Well, I wanted something that was readable, that the, the average Joe or Jane or Helmut, you know, wherever you are, yes. could could um, could read it, understand it, and it would, people would actually read it. And so I've got 90 full-color uh, uh, charts in the book uh, that you don't find in very few of the other books. Hopefully, they're, I, I've been told it's very readable and legible. Uh, and that, the testament of that is, too, that as recently as last week, the book was a number one bestseller in at least one category in Amazon three years after its publication. We were we were number one bestseller in several categories for 
almost two and a half years. So uh, people like it, love it. Um, and uh, so that's really what got me into it, was this personal search for the for the truth about climate change. And there's we can't sugarcoat it. You're being lied to. All of the viewers of this podcast, you're being lied to about climate change. Um, and I can't look into men's souls and women's souls and say why they're lying, but I can provide the facts and the science that says this is what you're being told, and this is what the science actually is. Um, we can go through. We're going to dive into that over the next fifty or so minutes uh, and, and learn more about some of these things. And uh, your viewers will probably be, if they're not outraged, they should be about uh, about this misinformation that they're being peddled. Um, it is. Uh, it all started with the um, with the work of Thomas Mann, I think, right? Uh, Michael Mann. Michael Mann. Michael. Sorry, Michael Mann. Yes, Michael Mann. And the interesting yes. thing is that. Um, The fraud in, is in question mark is already discovered, and uh, many, and for example, the director of the university has to yeah has has lost his uh, position in the in, in the university. But in Germany, for example, we had here a wonderful newspaper. There was an article which was so big about it, yeah, and that's it on the on this page of 10. and that's uh, and uh, can you tell anything about it? The, the fraud is already dis yes. uh, you know, disclosed. Well, the, you're talking about Michael Mann and what's called yep. the hockey stick. And in 1998, 99, uh, prior to his his uh, two papers being released, the general climate science community believed that the medieval warm period existed and it was warmer than today. But for his contention of unusual and unprecedented warming, they needed to erase the medieval warm period. And that's a period from 850 to 1250 AD, and they needed to pretty much wipe out what was called the Little Ice Age after that, from 1250 to 1850. Uh, because if there was, if the medieval warm period was warmer than today, then there's nothing that we should be worried about. This is a naturally recurring event, uh, similar to the other uh, nine warming periods we've seen over the last 1,000 years. So his contention was that, and he came up with a curve that showed 900 years of slowly declining temperatures. And then all of a sudden in the 20th century, temperatures uh, blew up and they rose. And it was, uh, it looked, and that's it's in the shape of a hockey stick. It was, it was a long uh, handle of the hockey stick. And then it, the blade was when it shot way up. Well, it turns out, there were, I, I like Mark Stein. He's an acerbic commentator who's actually being sued by Michael Mann right now. His description of Michael Mann, his papers in the hockey stick was Michael Mann's reconstruction is a re reconstruction of temperature using proxies with two problems, the proxies and the reconstruction. Other than that, you can take it to the bank, which is a great uh, analogy because it was the, one of his main drivers for creating this was a thing He, he used tree ring data predominantly to come up with this reconstruction. Um, tree rings are pretty iffy. You can use tree rings for estimating past temperatures. They have to be selected in high alpine areas or high latitude areas near the tree line. Because in those cases, if you see increase in, in uh, growth rate of the tree ring, it's probably due to temperature. You certainly want to, wouldn't want to do that, uh, use that same thing in Spain or in Georgia in the United States, any warm area, because probably increases in tree growth there is due to precipitation, not, not temperature. Um, he used a one particular, and again, this, this is probably the most impact, it isn't, it's the most impactful um, temperature reconstruction in, in climate change article ever written. It, it's been driving the very basis of what we're trying to do in the United States and around the world with decarbonization, get around carbon dioxide. It's pretty much based on Michael Mann's uh, allegation of unusual and unprecedented warming that we've seen. Warming today is warmer and it's warming at a higher rate than we've seen in thousands of years. If that was the case, that would be a strong support for man-made driven warming. If, however, we see that today's temperature is similar to the past warming periods, or those past warming periods were warmer than it is today, well, that's a strong argument 
uh, for those that support that we're just in another periodic trend of warming temperatures. Um, and But again, we go, he went back, so this is really impactful. He based his curve basically on a tree called a bristlecone pine. I won't go too deep in the weeds here, but it, it's a tree in the southwest of the United States. And he used to study um, that, and the authors of the study said, do not use our work to reconstruct temperature because the tree rings are influenced here by increasing CO2, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Increasing CO2 means we've got an increase in the CO2 fertilization effect. Plants, as we'll talk about in a little bit, have been responding wildly and greatly uh, to increasing CO2, and that's what was driving the tree ring growth there. But he, instead, he didn't listen to the authors who said, don't use this for reconstructing temperature, and they did it anyhow. And um, other people that have come after him are using the same data to support uh, this notion of unusual and unprecedented warming. And uh, the other part of this was his, he used an un unconventional method uh, for taking all these big data sets and creating this hockey stick. And uh, it was, he was exposed. There was actually a U.S. congressional testimony uh, twice that confirmed the failure of, of the hockey stick and Michael Mann's work. I see. And um, the situation is, um, why are they doing this? Because all all governments are in this business, and it is a business because the the carbon dioxide certificate have uh, have a value of one hundred seventy trillion dollars. This is combined all commodities on this planet together. So huge is the business. Can you ha do you have a comment about that? Why it is and what it's what's the what's the intention behind it? Yeah, I, I'm asked that a lot, Hartmut, but it, it's, again, I, I try and stay out of that because you are just as qualified as I am. Each one of the viewers of the podcast are just as qualified as I am to say why they're doing it. Uh, I can provide the science and facts that says they're lying to you, and this is why. Uh, again, I can't see inside men's and women's souls and why they're doing it. But you can, I mean, we could come up with, I'm sure your viewers will be going, oh, it's the money, it's the funding, it's it's power, it's taxation, it's control. Uh, is it trying to bring down the capitalist system? I don't know. Um, your viewers will have come up with all different reasons. Um, I can say it's happening. And, and what the UN and um, the other nations are putting out and the, the mainstream media. But I will say I was just accepted as a, an expert reviewer uh, for the UN's intergovernmental panel on climate change. So I've been, I'm part of that process. So it kind of adds to my bona fides as, as being somebody who knows what they're talking about, but they're not, they, they don't listen to me. Uh, they're going to do what they do. And, and in a little bit, we'll talk about one particular UN report that came out a little over a year ago on extinctions uh, as a great example of, of how they're, how they're, how they're manipulating the data and, and torturing the data. Um, they start with a conclusion and then fit the data to meet that conclusion. And it's, it's not, it's not science, not part of the scientific process. I see. Thank you so much. I have other questions as well, but I want to uh, give it, uh, give it to Roy. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, like I kind of realized a good few years ago, um, when I saw it, you could see the Times magazine, first it was global cooling, then they were showing global heating, and then it became climate change. There was also a meteorologist that was in the Senate in the US, I forget his name, I was trying to dig out, and he was basically showing all the curves and everything, and showing that NASA had doctored everything, and a few of the others. So he was actually proving it then, and he Right, Senator Inhofe was, was great on that. So, like, when you see that, and then you see, like, the puppet show with uh, Gre Greta Thunberg, that's unfortunately, after kind of making the population believe differently, like, who's pulling the strings for her? Who's funding her to travel around the world? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a, somebody is, we know that. Uh, there's a lot of funding that goes behind this. I, I'm now the... Uh, executive director of the CO2 coalition. And I know we're, we're the strongest 
scientific skeptical group out there. We're underfunded. We, we, we have, you know, I'm trying to raise money. I need to hire some more people, but we don't have people throwing money at us. Uh, but these other green groups can pull in millions here and millions there. Uh, there's just $11 million announced uh, of new money raised uh, to promote this, this global, global climate scheme just last week. And that, that's a drop in the bucket. This is a billion dollar uh, climate industrial complex that, that's sprung up. And uh, we're trying, that's the, that's the difficulty is trying to get our, our message out uh, to the population. I'm doing it through things like this, through lots of other interviews. Uh, I just was, uh, gave a, to the Sand, the Sander Golden Gate Breakfast Club last week. There were about 60 liberal, very liberal San Franciscans um, they had me on, I gave a seminar for an hour and stuck around for another hour of, of question and answer. And these people, hardly any of them had ever heard any of what I presented. And these people were going, wow, I've had my eyes open. I've never heard of this. Uh, you know, and I, all, all my charts that I show when I do these are fully sourced and referenced. I use peer reviewed data to fight back against what, frankly, a lot of the lies that were being told. And like the like Kyoto Agreement, and you know, basically say American can keep producing what they do and buy it off Africa. That, that sounds so stupid when you think of it the way they're doing it. Instead yeah. of if they really care and it's really something like that, they'd just reduce. But if you can buy it from say other countries that haven't got the same emissions. Yeah, there's, and I've got a, a chart I just created on the. Uh, it's, it's measuring atmospheric CO2 at Mauna Loa Observatory, and it's just steadily climbing, climbing, climbing. Uh, and I put on there all the past six great conferences, including Kyoto and some of those others, where they came out with these proclamations, we have to save the earth. It didn't do a darn thing to CO2 increase. And neither, interestingly, did the global lockdown. Uh, we, we reduced our emissions by a lot, and it didn't touch Carbon dioxide just keeps going at the same rate, increasing every year. And I'm okay with that. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent. In fact, I've got my, excuse me, I've got my iHeart CO2 mask. So I've got, a, I've got an iHeart CO2 bumper sticker on my truck. I've not been keyed yet. Um, we're big proponents of the many benefits of modest warming and increased CO2. By almost every metric we look at, you can look around and see that the Earth's ecosystems and humanity are benefiting from modest warming and increased CO2. It's, I call it probably the greatest untold story of the late 20th and early 21st century is this, it's this Earth that's prospering and thriving and you, the human condition's improving. Um, the earth is greening with vegetation is, is springing up. Deserts are shrinking, not getting bigger. Dry areas, we're getting, I mean, just look at, according to NASA, we've got up to 50% of the earth is greening, they call it, and vegetation's increasing. Less than 4% of the earth is what they call browning or loss of vegetation. That's a really good trade-off. I'll take that any day of the week, you know, and, it's, and we see it in a, formerly arid areas in Australia, India, China. Probably the greatest example is the Southern Sahara in an area known as the Sahel. Uh, it's turning into a lush grassland. Uh, and if you don't believe me, you can just Google two words, NASA and greening. And you can learn. So you, you say, oh, that right stone, I don't know. If, I don't know about him. Google that and see what NASA says. And you'll find that NASA says that because of this combination of warming leading to slight increase of precipitation, plus CO2 benefits um, of, of increasing CO2. Uh, this, these areas are greening and prospering. People are moving back in there and thriving. And again, it's just opposite of what we're being told. The Sahara is expanding and things are getting worse. No, things are getting much, much better. Okay. And I, I got deplatformed this week from YouTube because uh, I put up uh, uh, Dr. Eric Nepute's video. That was my third strike and taken off. I'm assuming you're getting similar kind of censorship because you're basically you're fighting the bad boys. They don't want your information getting out there. 
Well, we had at the CO2 coalition, we, we were targets last year. Um, we, the, the benefits we have is we, we actually provide science that's backed up by facts. Uh, three times last year, we got deplatformed, got, got stories taken down. And each time we just overwhelmed Facebook with the science that backed up what we were saying these three, every three times, every time they said, oh, okay. And that, that rubbed people the wrong way. So starting in June last year, first we got a letter from four United States senators, including Elizabeth Warren and Sheldon Whitehouse demanding that we be deplatformed by Facebook. Uh, these are these are some of the top senators in the United States targeting the CO2 coalition. Um, a week later, we got a letter that was written to Zuckerberg from um, Tom Steyer. If you know that name, he's a huge funder of these, these groups. Tom Steyer, Tracy Abrams, uh, Senator out of Georgia, and 17 other radical environmentalist groups. Again, they, they weren't coming after anybody but the CO2 coalition. Um, and it just, it, it, it helped us because we were able to, here's this little group in Arlington, Virginia, that they're coming after with all this power. Uh, so we, we, we got a lot of publicity out of it. And they, we're still up. Uh, our, our past chairman is Patrick Moore, uh, who you might want to have one to interview. Uh, but he's, he's got a new book out. Uh, I, I work closely with Patrick. Um, you know, I, I speak to him weekly, uh, but he got a he got a YouTube a PragerU YouTube that's been seen I think five point nine million times already, and they they targeted him and called it misinformation. And the reason they called it misinformation was one statement. He stated, "Of course, climate is changing. It's always changed, and it always will." And that's what they they declared as misinformation. And false, false, false news. Yeah, and it was. You just shake your head at some of this stuff. And I, I got uh, LinkedIn is the one. I, I have a huge following on LinkedIn, uh, another social media platform. I got, I got taken. I got deplatformed there for about six weeks because um, they're targeting a couple key key things. You target are climate change, COVID. Uh, you dare not say anything against face masks or. Uh, anything against uh, the good Dr. Fauci, but I, I, I don't, I don't do that anymore, but I, I stick to climate change. That's, that's in my wheelhouse now. Um, so yeah, we get, we get targeted for sure. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Steve. Okay. Wow. Well, thanks for everything you're doing. I did a little digging and uh, my jaw was just dropping. So, I read your PDF that I recommend everyone read at the CO2 Coalition that's titled Bene uh, CO2 Benefits the World because it's readable, 16 pages. or And if you read that, it's like, it's right there. What blew me away was now I know who's doing the modeling, the computer modeling for the IPCC. It's got to be Neil Ferguson and Matt Hancock. Um, you know, basically, <laughs> yeah. Because what that there's one chart in this that shows temperature increases based on balloons that are sent in the air by scientists and satellites, and that over 45 years from 1975 to 2015 shows uh, that it's 0.2 Celsius, I think, increase. And then there's a hundred computer models that the UN relies on. And they're not even in line with the statistical data. They basically have the temperature going up to by 1.2 degrees Celsius. And I was just absolutely, utterly blown away. It's another faulty model that's being used to perpetuate the lie. Yeah, the, the, the ones you're referring to indicated that it's two and a half times too much warming as compared to actual temperature. It's three times too much in the tropics. And that was by uh, Roy Spencer, I think, and John Christie. Roy's a member of the CO2 Coalition. And and John Christie, uh, he's not a member, but he's we we work with him, and he, we we just co-authored our last paper was was co-authored between he and Richard Lindzen out of MIT uh, on modeling and and temperature roll, and and Dr. Will Happer is our current chair. He just has a, a recent paper they've published on how the we, we okay let's let's start here. Um, 
Let's start at the basics. What do I believe? CO2 is increasing. This increase in CO2 that, that is based and it's due to our burning of fossil fuels. It just is. A little bit of cement manufacture. That increase in CO2 because greenhouse, because CO2 is a greenhouse gas, we admit that it, that increase in CO2 can lead to some warming of the earth. We just believe it's very modest and overwhelmed by those same natural forces that have been driving temperature since the dawn of time. Uh, so Dr. Will Happer, this new paper he published, talked about how the uh, the bandwidth of the, the, the causes global warming from, from CO2, it's saturated. You just can't, we add more, more CO2, it's really not going to do any more, much warming at all going forward. It's uh, logarithmic. It's logarithmic, right. Right. And I'll, I'll give you another, another source might be to go to my, uh, my own personal website, which is inconvenientfacts.xyz. I've got a lot of good information and blogs there. I think you'll, you'll get some good information there on that. Okay. Uh, the one thing um, for the layman that even though I kind of knew this, this is what blew me away that from listening to you and what you've said and reading your stuff was that um, to me, the smoking gun that proves that climate change is, is, is um, not what they're saying it is, is that the life thrives and needs CO2. And we are at what, I think 400 parts per million or whatever it is, 400. Plant life starts to cease to exist at 150 parts if it goes down further. So we're actually at a critical time where you know, to me, that's the smoking gun. And can you elaborate on how we're actually not far from the point of where there's not enough CO2 to have plant life? Yeah, probably in my book, probably the scariest chart is one of the uh, last 140 million years of CO2 history on Earth, where it declined almost in a linear manner uh, from 2,500 parts per million down to it got what's thought to be the lowest CO2 level in, in Earth's history since the Precambrian. 600 million years ago at we got to 180 parts per million why is that dangerous because like you said at 150 plant life can't survive if that's the case we nearly got there in the recent geologic past if we ever crossed that threshold um it would be that would be a true climate apocalypse and we're and not we, far from that right now right correct so we're, we're still at historically low levels of co2 so instead of having too much co2 we can make a strong case looking through geologic history that we're actually CO2 impoverished. We don't have too much CO2. We don't have enough. And we're, we're going to continue seeing the many benefits of CO2 as we go forward in, the, in society. For example, uh, Craig Gitso, another member of the CO2 coalition, uh, did laboratory work uh, documenting what will an increase in CO2 do to plants and crops. He found by an increase of 300 parts per million of CO2, these are greenhouse laboratory studies, an increase of 300 parts per million would lead to a 46% increase in crop growth, crop biomass, he calls it. Well, that's a good thing. That's a really, we can grow, increase our crop production by 46% by more CO2. Well, we can feed more people. We can feed the hungry. We've got a growing population. Uh, this is going to help to feed them. And it's it, and again, we, we can look to uh, by just about every way you look at it with crop growth. I've documented in the book and other places that all these crops continue to get break records year after year after year. And that's a combination of warming. Think about this with warming in the higher latitudes. Uh, the growing season lengthens. Uh, so killing frosts stop earlier in the spring and arrive later in the fall. You can get more plantings in. So the warming helps. Uh, the CO2 is a huge, huge component uh, with this increased fertilization process. And uh, it's uh, it's really a good story that they're twisting into something terrible. And it's, again, I love CO2 and you should yeah. too. Yeah. And plus, uh, plus, go ahead. Go on, go on. I was just going to say, there's so many things we could talk about here. Just we're being told aren't we about mortality, that global warming is going to lead to huge temperature increases and people are going to die and it's going to be awful. Well, 
The largest study of its kind in the world was done by Dr. Antonio Gasparini and a team of doctors around the world. They looked at 74 million temperature-related deaths uh, in 14 different countries. And he found that cold-related deaths, cold-weather-related deaths, exceeded heat-related deaths by 20 to 1. Another study I included England, Wales, and Australia. Their conclusion was uh, 15 times as many people die due to cold as due to heat. So it doesn't take a great leap of, thing, of faith to say global warming will save lives. And man, when you say that, people's heads explode. They go, you can't say that. Well, yeah, I just did. And it's yeah, true. Yeah. Global warming will save lives and a lot of them. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, again, uh, the in doing my research, I'm probably stating the obvious because you said, I don't know why people would do this, but the, the, the people in our circles would have some pretty strong ideas why. And what I immediately saw was the reinforcement of the need to demonize CO2 so that the World Economic Forum could push forward the, you know, demonize humans as the cause and then take us away from nature uh, and genetic and create genetically modified food, even fake meat. Um, whatever this crazy plan is, they they need this agenda in order to sort of it's a, it's a part of pushing the new world order. I mean, hands down. And um, it just it really crystallized for me in doing the research. So, I mean, you know, basically, in short, we don't have enough CO2. And I love that idea. And I have more questions when I'm going to pass you on to to uh, Grace. Thanks, Steve. Oh, Hi, Greg. Um, in honor of the CO2 Coalition, I wore this shirt. Look. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. I and I want to show them your book because it's really readable and it's a lot of images and pictures there. And I know you have an app also. So how about you share what, what and how people can get your app? Well, the app is currently... Um, if I can digress just a moment about the app, we created it uh, two years ago. I rolled it out on an America that's a big show here. It's called the Glenn Beck Show, that it gets millions of viewers a day. Uh, he loves the app. We rolled it out. We had 15,000 downloads of my app over the next day or so. And then two days later, Apple removed it from the App Store. Uh, they said it lacked compelling content. They said it uh, it didn't incorporate. And, and it was, we're like, lacked compelling content. Well, the ones they have up there about climate change that they allowed to stay up look like failed middle school science fair projects. And, and mine, mine's the state-of-the-art app with all 60 inconvenient facts. But I will say we're making it. It came out when we published. It was a paid app, $2.99. But I'm just we're right in the middle of turning it. Uh, you can't get it right now. Uh, maybe when this is aired, you'll be able to. It should be available. Um, in the next several days, as soon as we get approved, we're, I want to make it completely free. I want to uh, throw this out. So just look for inconvenient facts, both at the App Store and the Google Play Store. It's valuable. You can have this information in the palm of your hand. And so you can talk to people. Um, I get a lot of people telling me that it's, uh, that they, they really use it every day. Um, so that's good, but it should be available shortly. Thank you. And uh, Greg, may I call you Greg? You may. Um, in, my, in growing up, for me, my wisdom just came from common sense. Common sense of just listening to elders and to folks who have more experience than me, and also observing nature. So I come from the area, from the coastal area of Legaspi City. So it's really right, right at the shore. And I've also visited places in the Philippines and also in Asia where there are floating houses. So they keep talking about global warming, the way that it will dangerously elevate the sea level. But when I was visiting, I even had such a beautiful imagination that these kids, 
these people, these communities, they are on the floating houses and their playground is the ocean. What a beautiful life. <laughs> and then until now, none of us, even if our city is also one of the typhoon belt, none of us rush to get out of the shore to evacuate and live somewhere. So please share more about the effect of what what is happening, whether it is global warming, yes, it is global warming and increasing CO2, but how is it so dangerous that people have to pack up and where would be the flow? Now, now there's, if we look, sea level started, yes. Is sea level rising? Yes. It's, it's the global sea level has risen about seven inches since the beginning of the 20th century. That's nothing alarming and nothing dangerous. The rate of increase is not increasing. It's not accelerating. Um, and yes, is it due to global warming? Of course, that that modest rise in sea level. And that's because we're in a warming trend. Uh, and when it warms, glaciers retreat. And when glaciers retreat, sea level rises. Uh, and again, again, in my book, I captured in 2005, the UN issued a proclamation that there'd be 50 million climate refugees by 2010. In my book, I captured the population in 2010 of these. They, they listed these five or six at-risk islands, uh, the Seychelles, the Maldives. There were others. Uh, I, listed, I looked at the population. The population had exploded in all these islands. People weren't fleeing these islands. They were flocking to them. Uh, the UN issued the same report in 2015, predicting 50 million climate refugees by 2020. Well, that's come and gone. Uh, and if we look at it today, these islands, the Maldives in particular, it's been documented, the islands are actually growing. They're not being overwhelmed. They're, it's a natural geologic process. The, the, there's a reason. Just think about it. We've had a 400-foot rise in sea level uh, since the end of the last ice age. But yet here are those islands. We've risen 400 feet, uh, and they're still there. And let me tell you something else. The Maldives right now, there are three new resort complex hotels, uh, hotel complexes being created and built seaside in the Maldives. Well, let me ask you, if you're an equity company, why would you, or an insurance company, why would you risk $120 million uh, to build a seaside community that's going to be underwater in a few years? You're not going to. The insurance companies are some of the most risk averse companies in the world. They don't take risks. That's their job. Uh, they're not going to insure these resort hotel complexes uh, if they really thought that sea level rise was going to endanger their investments. It just, they wouldn't do it. And that's a great example of people putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, so we can, it's, it's pretty easy to demonize. But again, we just see due to geologic processes, these islands, many of these are, are actually expanding, not shrinking. And, and from what I heard, you are doing another book. And in that book, I think I'm going to love that book as well. So would you be able to share a little bit of the research that you've been doing in terms of the different empires and in relation to uh, changes in the climate? Yeah, this is, it's in three, page, three sections. The first section is basically complete where I dispute the idea of unnatural and unprecedented warming or unusual and unprecedented warming in the first section. Second check section, I'm taking a deep dive comparing the rise and fall of temperature with the rise and fall of civilizations through time. I go back to the very first civilization six, 7,000 years ago. Uh, and what happened? Uh, we're being told, oh my God, we can't let it get another degree and a half or two degrees warmer. Uh, we're all going to die and it's going to be awful. And the Earth's going to end when that happens. Well, why don't we look back in past and see when that occurred? What happened to Earth? What happened to humanity when the Earth did warm to that? And we can look back. There were three other great warming trends, warming periods uh, before this current warming period. And the current warming period started 300 or so years ago. Um, and the first was back during the, it was called the Bronze Age. Great, the first great civilizations rose up, the Assyrians, the Hittites, the Babylonians, um, the great empires in, in the Indus River Valley in China. Uh, and then, and that was called the Minoan Warm Period. And then it started getting cold and it got cold quickly. 
And it's not in a fairly short period of time. This cold led to crop failure, a destabilization of the empires and civilization, and we see societal collapse over maybe a period of 100 years. Uh, each one of those worldwide global civilizations collapsed in that period. We went into the Greek Dark Ages. Again, this is a cold period. The next, and then it got better. It was called the Roman Warm Period. There's a, there's a reason the Romans wore togas. It was really warm. And uh, again, civilization thrived. And then when it started getting cold again, uh, we had crop failure, famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. And then the most recent one was called the Medieval Warm Period. I deal a lot with that in this new book. Um, again, it was the high Middle Ages, a time of great prosperity, wealth, and humanity benefit. And then when it started getting cold, uh, we were going into what was called the Little Ice Age. Again, crop failure, famine, pestilence. And it was it was interesting. A lot of the famine uh, and crop failure were due not to drought, but rather too much rain. It, there were, when this started, it started cooling down, and it just started raining and raining and wouldn't stop. And so you, in the spring, you can't plant your crops. If you can get them in, it, it's raining through the harvest time, so the, it can't it doesn't ripen. And it, the, the food rotted in the field. And that's really, especially across uh, Europe and Asia, that's what occurred there. But again, it was, it was related to cooling. So isn't it just opposite of what we're being told? We're being told, fear the heat. Uh, it's going to be really bad. Uh, I tell you, no. Welcome the warmth. Fear the cold. It's the next time we get cold and start cooling. And it's going to happen. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. Because we know it's always, it, it, it just does. It's, we see this repeated time and time again. And when it does, it's going to be bad again. That's what we should be, per that's the global security issue I would point to is what are we going to do uh, when it does cool down? And we see the same effects, uh, you know, it won't be as bad because we, we're not moving food around by ox cart in way of refrigeration. Uh, but it's, it, it's going to be unwelcome and people are going to die because uh, we've seen it occurring time and time again throughout history. So, yeah, there, there's a strong relationship. And just, just real quickly, it was at the end of the, of the medieval warm period, as it started getting cold, um, again, it started cooling, crops started failing, famine set in, and people blamed that on weather-causing witches, and they started killing the witches. And then in the 15th century, the Pope issued a papal bull that said, yes, there are weather-causing witches, and you need to kill them, and boy, they did. So in my book, new book, I've got a chart. It's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm comparing witches killed per decade at the top versus the cold temperatures at the bottom. And there's just a real strong correlation because as it, as it was cooling, they're killing more witches because they're blaming they're blaming the misfortune on these witches. Uh, and it really didn't start the witch hunts and the killing really didn't stop until we started warming coming into this modern warm period. Uh, fascinating story, but it, there's there's a, a a point to that story. I'm I'm really grateful that there are people like you and all the organizations, because I'm more I'm not concerned about the climate change or warming. I'm from a country where I love the warmth, and I you know I survive more in the warmth and in the sun. And, 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 Oh, so sorry. Oh, so sorry. Echo. So I better pass it on to Hartmut. Well, can I, before we go, can I just, uh, so we had the book published in Norwegian five or six months ago uh, by the Norwegian Climate Realists. Uh, I've got a Korean language version that should come out. I've just got a message today, maybe next month for the Korean language version. I'm negotiating now to get a uh, have it published in Portuguese in Brazil. Uh, there's, we've, we've seen a lot of uh, real, there's a group in Brazil we're working with uh, in tandem. They're, they're called the Intellectos. And they're, in fact, you might want to have her on, the, uh, Rafaela Nascimento, and she's fascinating uh, in her stories. Uh, but they're, 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 they want to tell the truth about the Amazon rainforest and get that lots of misinformation out there, just like there is about climate change. I'll make sure, uh, Greg, that I'll connect with you for the other speakers, and maybe we'll all put you together, okay? Thank you. I'll pass it on to Hartman. Thank you, Grace. Um, concerning Brazil, this is a very good uh, point. 
in Brazil last year we had a lot of forest fires, and um, and this is uh, this is a very scary situation: forest fires, uh, desertification, earthquakes, etc. Everything is influenced by the climate change, which is done by the CO2. And um, can you say? Can you give the audience some facts about that so that they can calm down a little bit? Yeah, that's 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 not quite so. Uh, we 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 have made, it is a man-made problem in that. Let's look at California, for example, as a great example. Yes. That's they had a bad fire season last year. There's no doubt. But we have to look at this in the big. We have to put things in the in the not just one-off year, but in the big perspective. Um, and I captured in my book, I showed 50 years of, of fire in California uh, from Dr. Mass, uh, showing that, that actually the number of fires in California during that period had declined by almost 50%. Uh, some of these, and, and but the, the big fires that are occurring just recently in California, according to this, are due to a couple things. Mainly, it's too many trees per acre. Uh, the Sierra Nevada Conservancy tells us there are four to five times too many trees per acre uh, in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California uh, and going up into Oregon. Uh, and, and what does that mean? Obviously, it's, it's clear that that adds fuel to the fires. But think about this, too. The greatest, second greatest soil loss, soil moisture loss, is because of the plants and trees sucking them out through the through the through uh, their root systems. The first, of course, the first soil loss is, is evaporation that clearly uh, but now we have four to five too many times too many trees all competing for the same scarce soil moisture so it's going to taking an already arid soil moisture and taking making it even worse you got more fuel you've got more uh, uh, less 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 moisture and think about it too the and here in the United States uh, back in the 1980s they halted logging and timbering on uh, U.S. government lands. So what does that mean? There used to be logging roads going all through these forests. So when there was a fire, they could get to it and put it out. And uh, you can't get them now. The only way to get it in now is, is via helicopter. Uh, in fact, my brother just had a fire, a pretty significant fire on his property, mountain property in Pennsylvania, which doesn't occur very often. And they saw the same problem, was just access, getting back to get to the fire to put it out. And, uh, and again, they, here, it was ex accelerated here because we've got a, uh, an invasive species known as uh, Japanese stilt grass uh, that dried out. And it was, it was basically a huge brush fire that swept up, up through the mountain. So okay. and we can look, and I captured too, if we look at global fire, it's in decline. And if we look at, at going back to 1928, if we use, if we look at that data from the National Interagency Fire Ser Service, uh, that shows that we're our number and area of fires are probably around 20 to 25 percent of what they were 100 100 years ago. So we've got much fewer fires, much less area burn. And the Canadian Fire Service agrees. They're 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 documenting uh, an overall decline over the last 100 years of fires, and they attribute it to CO2 fertilization. Thank you so much. I passed to Roy. Thank you. Um, I've seen um, a lot of people, you know, they're kind of pushing the wind turbines and solar energy. And like one, unless it's because one was put up near uh, a site that I have and they're very noisy. And I know that like birds, there's a lot of birds are dying from them as well. But one thing that I saw that I was shocked at is the actual blades. I know this is happening in America. I don't know is it all over the world. But the blades that they use can't be recycled and they were burying them. And it was a massive, the actually amount of land where they were burying these. Like, you know, I don't think people realize the kind of games that are going on regarding this. Yeah, there's, and it, there's a lot we can go into here. And you're right about, you've got so many components. You've got the, the pre-use component, which is the mining of rare earths and things to construct these. And then we got after the life, what do you do with the waste? And you're right, these things take up a huge amount in the landfills. Uh, so what we're doing here in the United States, we've finally achieved energy security. It was just a month ago, the week that Joe Biden was uh, uh, inaugurated, 
it was the first week since 1985 that the United States did not import one barrel of oil from Saudi Arabia. It should have been a momentous. So what they're doing now, we, we're, we're independent. Oil, basically oil and gas independent here in the United States. What they want to do is, is convert us, instead of our dependency on oil, if we go to all electric, our dependency will be on China. Um, I'm not for, because they're, they're basically have a stranglehold on the world rare earth mineral mining and, and facilities, earth minerals that are, that are required for these batteries, that are required for components uh, to create, create the solar panels, but primarily batteries. Um, we're going to be, we're going to be held. They're going to be holding us like this with their, with their hand around our neck with China. I don't know who I want to depend on less. I, I might want to, for our energy security, is it, is it the Middle East or China? I think I might fear, fear China. Uh, and they, they'll be able to, they'll be able to shut, if they shut the rare earths down uh, and we're 80% electric, it, it's going to be really, really bad. I mean, we're going to see Texas redux over and over and over again. And Texas, yes, Texas was due to wind power failure. They're trying to spin that. It wasn't. You saw that in Germany, Hartmut. You very close, nearly two weeks ago, got to where Texas was. And it's for the vision. You, you're, you're moving away. We just had Wally Mannheimer, another of our uh, CO2 coalition. He just published a, a commentary about that, uh, comparing Germany to France for 80% or so of France's, of the French electricity generated by nuclear. Germany's yes. doing your, your, what do you call it? Wind, wind, whatever it is. Wind, wind, uh, yeah. Wind, uh, Windcraft, yes. And the yes. funny thing is, we the the atomic uh, atomic plants at the borders are in a worse uh, condition than the Germans one, and this is uh, this is very scary. But this is another topic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so we're going to be and Australia, you know, all these countries that are that are going to to uh, wind and solar. It's bad because uh, again, if you looked at Texas, they're trying to blame this on natural gas. Did, could natural gas did did natural gas fail to, to provide all the energy that Texas needed? Of course it did, but that's because we don't have enough electric fired or gas fired electric plants and getting rid of of uh, coal fired plants. And basically, no one's talking about it. But when that event occurred in Texas three weeks ago, the wind speed almost died completely after the storm came through. Uh, it, it got to less than five miles per hour. So even if they had nice stuff, they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't be turning the blades and wouldn't be generating electric. The only, the only electric coming out of Texas at that point, there was wind at the at the Gulf Coast, and so those turbines were moving. The others had frozen up and, and died because of lack of wind speed. And that happens. They had, it was unusual. They they knew that this was possibility, but they thought that this might occur in summer, rather than rather than winter okay um i see that anything that bill gates touches you know he buys uh, shares in monsanto buys loads of things his latest one is probably buying half the land that's available in america i believe that's because he they'll be doing some sort of carbon credits do you know much more about that i don't no not too much no. uh, yeah but he's yeah they're bill and melinda gates i i got a bad feeling Whenever they're involved, yeah, well, that's what I believe. It's all about carbon credits. They give themselves money for for the land that he's got. So that's I think that's their game plan on that one. But uh, yeah, thanks very much, Gregory, and I'll pass you on to Steve. All right. So um, awesome conversation. Call me paranoid, but this whole trend of electric vehicles. Okay. Is there any fear that this whole trend is not only part of the uh, the global warming agenda, but that could this push carbon dioxide levels to really super low levels till we get to a point where crops fail and faunas dying and, and stuff like that? Do you I don't that? think, no, I'm not, 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 not now. Cause we've, I, I think the sea, the earth could benefit from another several hundred parts per million, maybe up to a thousand. We're a little over 400 today. Uh, but the CO2 is going to stick around in the atmosphere for a while. And there's, it, 
There's, no, I, there's was thinking, no, I was thinking electric vehicles will lower CO2 to the point right. where we're getting to the, the scary low point of... Yep. of uh, I, I hear what you're saying. If that occurred, I'm going to have to say it's going to become pretty clear pretty quickly that this is unachievable. They can talk about it now because the crap hasn't hit the fan yet. It's going to, when they continue going down this road of electrification and moving away from, uh, well, what I call, when I look at energy, there are three terms that I use to describe good energy. It has to be reliable, abundant, and affordable. The only ones that can provide that are coal and natural gas. Nuclear is reliable and abundant, but it's not affordable. And wind and solar can't be described by any any one of those three descriptives. So we're going to, they're going to go down far enough down this road where it's going to hit them in the face. They're going to finally realize it might be three or four years from now. But after we go through repeated brownouts and blackouts and people having to make sacrifices that they don't want to make, um, I, I just, it's, I, I, I just can't see how they're going to get there. I know they're talking about it and they're moving quickly here in the United States to this, okay. this with this agenda to, to decarbonize. I, 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 it's, it, it's, it's, they can't do it. It's stupid. And there's no way they can generate enough reliable, abundant energy. It, it, they're they're, they're going to, it's going to be expensive for sure. Uh, and economically crippling, but it's, they're, they're going to realize, but again, the damage will be done. Uh, the American and the world economy, you can't turn an aircraft carrier on a dime, and neither can you the energy production in the country and the world. Uh, we, need, we, need more, we need more fossil fuel-fired electric, not less. It's amazing. It's just astonishing like that. Like it's so clear. It's so clear. Well, yeah, well, look at this, too. Look what India and China are doing. Both of those nations are constructing, uh, well, they're opening more coal mines, a lot more, and they're constructing more coal-fired electric plants. Why are they doing that? Because they both know, uh, President Xi in China and Prime Minister Modi in India, both both know you need reliable, abundant energy. And uh, I think they've got different motiva- motivations. I think President Xi, does he carry about some poor peasant up in Wuhan? No, he wants, he wants to build a powerful nation that, that's going to be the dominant power in the world. I think I think Prime Minister Modi may have some other uh, more altruistic uh, intentions because uh, he's got some 800 million people living in his country that are living in destitute poverty, just destitute. I've been there. It's it's parts. It's just heart wrenching. Uh, and he wants to electrify uh, 100% electrification for India. So I I look at. Prime Minister Modi says, I want to lift my people up out of generational poverty, and I'm going to do this. by Because think about it, 4 million people around the earth die an early death because of uh, their cooking inside their homes over using either wood or dried dung. 4 million lung-related deaths. Uh, we have the uh, cataracts that come on. I, I saw... Uh, an article on a young 42-year-old woman woman with cataracts. Well, if you're 42, you shouldn't have cataracts. But she cooks over a dried dung in Nepal. Uh, those people, those 4 million lives are 4 million lives that could be easily spared by providing them either fossil fuel-powered electric, propane, compressed natural gas, electric. Uh, and again, these are, these are and that's what we should do for Africa as well. We should, in Africa, uh, provide... Uh, clean coal technology. Uh, China's building a lot of fire coal fire plants in Africa, and they need more. Wow. Well, I have more questions, but I think we're going to wrap it up, so I'll give it to Hartman. Hartman, you're not muted. Oh, I'm mute, Mike. I'm uh, muted. Sorry. <laughs> okay, now I'm back. Uh, Gregory, thank you for being here. It was a pleasure to have you here for one hour and uh, to see uh, this topic from the topic and the facts from a different point of view. And um, it would be a pleasure to have you also uh, maybe on, in another call because we have a different uh, 
call on uh, Tuesday, for example, with different people from different countries. This would be a real pleasure if you would be there as well. Yeah. And uh, for the audience, please, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, don't miss us next week when John Barber will become our guest on Tuesday at the same time. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you so much for being here. Have a nice evening and see you soon. Thank you so much and bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thank you.